Hello to everyone listening to our talk today. My name is Dilana Dubrinova. I'm the co-founder of The Other Half, which is a brand consultancy in Sofia, Bulgaria. And we deal with building brands, uh, giving them strategic and creative direction, especially those brands that want to have both business results and meaning. And I'm in the role of the strategy director, which is the main reason why I'm hosting this talk today. My guest today is Mark Boward. Hello, Mark. He is one of the most famous, I would say, strategy gurus of today's world. Uh, he is the founder of Mighty Jungle and Sweathead, which is a strategy training company with over 18,000 strategists. And uh, he's hosting the podcast Sweathead, which has over 1.4 million listens. So that's a lot. Also, you recently uh, published your book, Strategy is Your Words, which we're going to talk about today a little bit. And pretty much to sum it up, Mark is your best strategy friend, I would say. So welcome. Hey. Uh, it's a pleasure to talk to you. Hey, how are you? I, I, some of those words I don't take very seriously. I, I take writing a book seriously, but the words you started with, guru fame, no, 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 no. Just a dude doing writing things through strategy. But yes, I have done those things you mentioned. Well, this is, yeah, this is um, the attitude that actually has the biggest influence. Isn't that right? Self-deprecation and denial. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's like it, it's a funny thing just to start off on because like I'm, you know, I'm out there in public and I love it. It's where I, I feel like I'm more of myself. But there's actually a pretty well-known or reasonably well-known talk by a, a guy called Alan Watts, who's a comparative theologian, but kind of this comedian, spiritual guy from a few decades ago. And he would give people talks about Zen Buddhism, but because he did comparative theology, he would compare Zen Buddhism to Christianity and Judaism and various other religions or the other religions. But he's like, I'm, I'm not your guru. Like, uh, I want to entertain mm -hmm. you. I want to get you thinking differently. But if you depend on me, then there's a problem. I've made you addicted to me. And that's the opposite of what we're trying to do here. So anyway, just wanted to like shout out Alan Watts because pretty amazing thinker for his time. Good to be here. Yeah, that's a great logic. Yeah, it's a great logic because we often see in communication and advertising the whole business model set up in ways where clients are dependent on agencies forever. And at least with the other half, that's exactly the opposite of you know what we're trying to do. But we're in Sofia and you're in New York. This is true. We're waiting for you here and you'll be here in less than a month for the Digital Conference. And uh, you already know one of the main things about Bulgarians, yeah. uh, I think. And that's the fact that we always look for what's wrong in a situation and we always see what's wrong. So today I really want to start off from the other side and I want us to talk about what is right with brands these days. What is something or what are the things that brands are doing right? Well, it's a big question because most of them are not doing things that they could do. And how do I support that? Well, most advertising doesn't get any attention. Nobody pays attention to it. You know, there's research that WARC, it's pronounced like that. It's, it's spelled W-A-R-C. There's research that they've published uh, in collaboration with Jenny Romaniuk, I think an academic or recently an academic, where something like 82 to 85% of advertising doesn't even register with people right so 
most advertising is not really working. And then there's this, I don't know, rule of thumb called, I think it's called Sturgeon's Law, where only like 10% of anything's any good anyway. So yeah, we could say that there's 10, we could be generous and say 20% of all of us and all of the brands doing okay stuff or good stuff, but most of it is probably a waste of money. The brands that are doing good things, they're big. They're, they're acting in big ways because what I sort of take out of the past decade or so of marketing sciences discussion, and I'm not an academic, I, I'm a hobbyist, I, I read it lightly, I don't get deep into the debates because research will come out arguing against the research that's already happened. And so I'm just like, you know, whatever. You, get, you all work it out and I'll use it. But my headline is advertising has never been more advertising. Hmm. You need to act in big, provocative ways, emotional advertising, reaching a lot of people. And uh, there are only really a handful of brands around the place that have committed to the, those kinds of principles. When you say the word big, uh, I think of something that I ask my students in um, a university I teach at. Do you have to be a big brand to do big things in great communication? That's a good riddle, that one. If you are a big brand and you do big things, you will get additional attention for it, right? Because you're big, you're already known, you are conspicuous. And then if you do something that is conspicuous, then people will pay attention. Conspicuous, think of like a really fancy engagement ring with a massive diamond on it, right? Like if you're kind of well-known and someone puts a massive diamond on your finger, a lot of people are going to find out about that. But if you're not that well-known and someone puts a decently sized diamond ring on your finger, not a lot of people are going to find out about that. So I don't know if that's a useful analogy, but yes, if you're big and you act big, it probably works for you in a bigger way. If you're small and you act big, look, the challenge there is a lot of companies that don't have the mindset or even the resources to act in a really big way if they're small or early stage. And even early stage companies, often they're not even ready for proper campaign thinking. What's your answer to the question? Yeah, I think um, very often, at least, at least here in these regions, we see more of the smaller companies that are starting to think in terms of brand building and brand exposure. Their campaigns are not that massively visible because of the smaller budgets that they have, but their mindset is already there. So for me, here we have this awakening of, you know, more brand-centric campaigns, more centric, um, a more brand-centric communication as a whole coming yeah. from the smaller companies and smaller brands. Because very often in these regions, um, the big uh, brands, the big companies are companies with legacy and they've built something that in their mindset, especially now here in these political situations, it's very risky to do something big that's, you know, not uh, conservative or that's something, hmm. you know, braver and something out there. So they stick to the more, I'd say traditional, more corporate styles that have already gotten them here. So for me, this is the risk now because this is the, the moment when they start becoming shallow. Yeah. They have succeeded for 30 years, but now because of that, they have forgotten that, you know, it's through the brave things that you actually can do something impactful. So that risk of becoming a shallow brand, how can a brand actually avoid that? Well, I think you're setting me up to talk about the theme that I'm going to talk about when I'm at DigiTalk. <laughs> um, and if you don't mind, I'm doing a masterclass on the second day. So 
well, not the second day, my second day, which could be the third day that I'm in Sofia, but on Friday, May 19, I'm doing a masterclass. So if you want to come to that, it's a half day. You can find out details at sweathead.com. Sorry for that aggressive advertising <laughs> situation just there. But yeah, well, I'm going to be talking about this. Uh, hopefully, we're going to have like, uh, should I give it away? No, like a funny little prop on stage. And I might even have someone in the prop walking around the prop to help me demonstrate as a moving infographic the difference between being in the shallow end of a pool and the deep end of the pool. The shallow end of the pool to me is doing communication, first of all, that does not register with people. Starts there. What are the things that don't register with people? Well, you're not saying anything interesting. You're not provoking people. You're not leading with emotion, for example, humor. There's not necessarily a concept in the advertising. It's more didactic, like a speech or like a moving PowerPoint with some lifestyle video and stock imagery, et cetera. You're not shooting for fame. You're not doing a lot of the things that seem to lead a brand to be effective. So that's the shallow end of the pool. It, it, it's almost like you're doing advertising for the sake of advertising and maybe you don't really need to. What's the deeper side where brands can actually swim? It's, it's the opposite of, of all of that. And so mm. it really starts for me at the very least with being okay with digging into the psychology of things, you know, and, and so from a strategic point of view, what's the problem that we're here to solve? You know, when I'm working on a, a project to get, usually to get to a creative brief, I don't care about discussions around awareness, consideration, uh, well, salience is kind of useful. It's just a very intellectual term. Consideration, but basically the path to purchase. I don't really care about that sort of stuff, right? Because sometimes I feel we overthink and overdiscuss that stuff to avoid digging into the root cause of a problem. And for me, mm. the problem is defined as a barrier or an obstacle in people's minds that's preventing them from buying something or doing something. So we start there. And then you want an insight to travel into the work, into the campaign. And insights are going to feel uncomfortable. You know, I feel like most insights are kind of sad and happy at the same time. But often in the corporate world, people are uncomfortable with things that are honest and raw because they might seem quote unquote negative, you know, but you, you wouldn't go to stand up comedy and think usually that a comedian was really positive or negative they just were and their jokes make you laugh but the jokes are kind of sad and happy at the same time and i think that energy is really useful to to consider when you're working in in this field i'm so glad you're actually mentioning that because i was at the new bulgarian university yesterday teaching a class in strategy and communication and we were talking about the creative brief and the three essential parts, you know, the goal, the problem, and the insight, as you mentioned. And it seems like the hardest thing for students is to define the problem. Yeah. And we see that actually with a lot of strategists who are already, you know, in, in their career at uh, some level. It's really hard to define the problem. Somehow people are, I think, avoiding it exactly because you know, they don't want to go there or maybe you don't want to admit in front of yourself that this is the problem, but you also don't want to risk going too far into the other's, you know, field or environment or overstepping a boundary. Yeah, well, let's play. Let's play. Why do you think the problem is hard for students to define? Give me, give me one sentence. First, because they like the experience of the real business world. 
in one sentence. I think that's it. Let's play tennis. Let's play tennis. And, and so if they had the real experience of the business world, would they find it easier to find the problems that they need to solve? I think they would have more options to choose from or to play with inside their heads. Why? Because they would understand how things have worked so far and how this is done, quotes. Uh, and they would see what could possibly be changed, be improved and be reduced or created. But somehow they feel insecure now because they are saying something because they lack the knowledge. Yeah. So see, I, now that I'm saying that, I'm realizing that in my head, I'm going deeper now because the, you know, the shallow thought is they like the experience, but the deeper thought is they are actually afraid to try and guess and think what they personally think because yeah. they like the experience. Yeah. We dig into the word insecurity or insecure. Why are they insecure? Why are they insecure? The techniques are not difficult. You, you just need to be in the moment. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to you, you know, your students if they listen, but it, it's about being in the moment and having a series of questions and not trying to rush to the answers. You know, our, our education teaches people to have the answers. That's how you progress. Uh, and even in the workplace, you don't want to look like you don't know what you're doing. Whereas a strategist has to spend a lot of time, I would say like 90% of their time confused. Like, I, I don't know, I'm going to find out or some hunches i don't know maybe it's more than 90 percent of the time confused but it's just having techniques which yes they could appear as a beautiful framework but typically it's a series of questions to help you dig and then as you're digging you need to be able to linger in the uncomfortable parts and eventually people's voices will crack a little bit and that's when you know you're having a truthful conversation and so that's you know they're the things that i i look for and these are things that are a little bit beyond the rational side of things, right? Because when we talk about business and business communication and advertising for business, we always think of the end results or the results this campaign is going to bring to the business and how much money is it going to make and all these rational things. But you mentioned some things that are more on the, I would say, soft side or more, you know, soul-centric side, like emotion and hinges and intuition and playing with things. So... I think I'm really curious, where's the balance in that? Because the client always expects, you know, the hardcore stuff and the, the rational stuff, but a huge part of the process is actually exactly the opposite. So where do these two meet? Uh, to a degree, to me, that's like trying to pull apart a stand-up comedian set and saying which part of this is rational or which part of it's emotional I have to admit that the way the business culture was going when I was working inside of agencies that I would tire of having to perform the rational bit, you know, 20 slides of numbers that don't mean anything, that are not leading to the ideas you're recommending. I just wouldn't want to do it. I would want to start presenting ideas or strategy directions or a creative brief by telling stories and, and having more of, more of that, I guess, classic that's not the best word, but like more familiar approach to strategy or account planning. And as soon as we had all these numbers, people wanted all the numbers, but what for? To make better decisions about the future, like you're trying to predict the future and numbers can help, but often there's got to be some kind of emotional leap with all effective and big work. So that to me is just one of those, it's one of those riddles that I, I don't know, I don't know the answer to. 
Yeah, I, I like what you're saying because what I'm hearing is, you know, like a, a deeper call for maybe something like business transformation as a whole, you know, like let's stop looking at just the results and how the business progresses. Let, let's look at how people progress and how people change. And if we focus on that approach, then the results are not going to be all we look at. You know, we're going to look at people, we're going to look at the connection we make with people and how our communication changes them. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we're, we're going to look at numbers. We're going to look at results. Uh, that's a good place to start, you know, when it comes to developing a, a new uh, advertising campaign, you know, what's been working, show us the numbers. But then, you know, I, I just feel that strategy and we are talking about strategy in the context of advertising, so also known as account planning, you, you use numbers, you use data, you use facts, but there have to be these little maybe gentle, but little lateral leaps, little ideas. And to me, the ideas of a strategist, are, they're very much like the ideas of a, a good nonfiction writer where you can pick up a book or an essay or even watch your favorite person on TikTok who's talking about real life and they will land sentences where they're bringing two topics together that change, will challenge you to change how you think about yourself and the world around you. And so that to me is the work of the account planner. So it's both rational and it's it's emotional if we're going to put those things together. Those two words, uh, sort of a little bit vague, a little bit intellectual, but to me, it, it's with both of those. It's everything at the same time, everything, everywhere, all at once. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And and what, one of the things that I, that gets in the way is there are these roles are in a lot of companies right now around the world, but often they report into or they present into either within their own company or to clients, people who are not literate in this kind of work, who are not necessarily brand literate or idea literate or strategy literate. And so if you work the way that I like to and the way that I'm suggesting, you'll eventually encounter someone in the business world who is extremely logical, a hardened, concrete, fact-based, evidence-based thinker, and that's great. But their brains are probably not wired, most of them, probably not wired to digest the kind of work we all do. Therefore, how much power should they have over the work that we all do? That's one of the, the weirdest things that's happening right now. There are people reporting into and presenting to other people who just shouldn't have the power over the ideas that people are presenting. That's what I personally believe. Got no stats though. Right. And the role of the role of the strategist is actually to combine those, you know, two roles and think both of the more emotional side and the creative storytelling and the storyteller in them, but also the businessman in them and appeal to both audiences and to the potential client, of course. And here uh, in these regions, strategy is still a new field. You know, it, uh, it's, it's just, I think, becoming popular as a separate uh, role in advertising and People selling strategy as a separate product um, are few. It's still a new thing. So this combination of skill is really hard and uh, for us especially because, well, the stereotype is that people here are a little more close-minded, you know, not open to working with each other and so on and so forth. But we also have this thing of um, finding it hard to sell the strategy, you know, as a separate product exactly because these things. So... What are some of the things you've observed in, in different companies or different settings of what could be helpful for people who sell strategy? 
Yeah. So again, let's make sure we're situating the chat about strategy in advertising. And, you know, we're talking about account planning where some of the main things an account planner tends to do is research, run workshops, write creative briefs. Maybe they do a comms plan, which is a more creative interpretation of a media plan. They connect, okay, and is involved with measurement and effectiveness. They're the main things, right? So give me the question again. What are some success tips you can give for people who sell strategy work? The the hardest one, sometimes I have these answers that feel like non-answers, but I really, 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 really believe that if you want strategy, the kind of strategy that we're talking about and a strategist, the kind of strategist we're talking about to be successful, they need to be default in your systems and in your culture. And so what that looks like if you're an agency is when you're selling to a client, you're essentially saying this is just how we work. We have these people on your brand or on this project. This is what we charge them out for. And this is how we arrive at the work that you've seen in public that's gotten you to contact us. That's just how we work. Anything other than that, it, it, it's quite turbulent for the strategist because they don't often have the kind of support or the, yeah, the advocacy or even the literacy. Again, I know I'm using big words, but the literacy within their own organizations to help them sell. And then sometimes they get isolated because they're not selling. It's really, really hard. So to me, you want it baked into how the company works. It starts there. And I don't know. I, I feel like that's my, my act of brinkmanship is to say it doesn't just start there, but that, that, that's a full answer to your question. Uh, I fully agree with that. And to be honest, there are not that many organizations for profit or non-profits where we see the strategic role of brand management or strategist as a whole, not yet at least, especially not here. But something very um, new here that has the potential to establish that behavior, let's call it like that, are tech companies. Um, tech companies here are a big, you know, a big thing. Like, uh, I think now more than two or 300,000 people in Sofia only work in the IT and tech industry. And this is a growing, uh, business field here. Um, yeah. many global companies are hosted here. And what we notice with tech companies is that their business structure and their organization is not the same as in typical FMCG or, you know, service companies. So they're starting from scratch. They're building something new. And we see potential there for establishing those roles early on from the development of the company. Have you noticed anything like that? I know you work with tech companies. Is there any difference in their perception in communication in comparison to typical companies, let's say? I don't, I don't think there are any rules. It always comes down to an individual or a group of individuals. I think it depends on the degree to which the CEO or the C-suite is brand literate. You know, are they suspicious of brand and advertising? Do they look down on it, which a lot of people do, because there are these tropes out there, such as advertise. If you if you're advertising, it means your product sucks. That's a little trope that's out in the world, definitely in Silicon Valley, even though pretty well-known VC people, I won't name names, are also on the record for saying that's, well, that's literally how you grow a brand according to research, like, well, part of 
how you grow a brand. You need good advertising, be good advertising. So it, it just really depends. I mean, the challenges that a strategist has in or strategy and a strategist have in that kind of company is, yeah, at the top level, do they look down on it? Are they suspicious of it? Do they kind of give them these riddles about proving every single dollar spent? And if that's a big question, then the people are going to be doing very bottom of the funnel stuff, the stuff that they can prove the most. But over time, that's not how you build a brand. You need a combination of top of funnel, bottom of funnel. I know a lot of people don't like funnels, but I'm using I'm using it today. Uh, and then also the challenges they've got is you could be working with a lot of MBAs who think they've done the strategy. Therefore, why do we need these other people doing this kind of work? Or you're working in with product people who are very feature oriented and just want you to do your drawings and pictures and tell people about our good features. They're not necessarily very human, customer, consumer, or user-centric. And I think the, the final challenge is the capability of a strategy team or a creative team in those companies. It's not uncommon for people to have started young in those companies and then five years in, they're a creative director, but they're not conceptually trained. They might be really good at design and maybe a kind of creative director, but someone who's good at design and not conceptually capable or trained in advertising should not be a creative director when it comes to advertising. These are very different things. So they're, they're some of the main issues that, I, that I've seen out there. I think it's really easy to want to romanticize, to fantasize about where is this happening really, really well. It's hard. Most, most places are struggling. And I, th I think the places that tend to do well have strategy and planning very close to the creative department. There's advocacy for strategy and planning at the C level. It's sold in from day one. The strategists and the planners aren't chasing it around the building, trying to get on projects or working with teams on pitches. And then they win the pitch and the rest of the team doesn't want to pay for the strategists. So, you know, they, they go unpaid for all of that nonsense that does happen in a lot of places. I think that's the norm. It's the norm. But there's no there's no utopia out there is what I'm saying to Yana. Yeah, it, it sounds to me like a huge reality check right now. So everyone who's listening, we're talking with Mark about the realities of the world and the role of advertising strategy in it today. All that you're saying really makes me think about the role of education in a way in this field. You know, we're talking about brand literacy and I'm really curious about what was um, your motivation to start Sweathead in this, in this format. And how have things evolved since you started? And what do you see in the near future for, you know, brand education and strategy education in particular? Yeah, yeah, totally. So I'm, I'm 12 years into being in New York and seven years into being in Sweathead. And, yeah, it really starts with a bit of crisis where I, I, I didn't, didn't really enjoy or flourish in corporate America. It felt really bureaucratic. Australia is tough and challenging in other ways. I think this industry all around the world has its challenges. You know, you work your butt off. You're always chasing something new. It's volatile, not a lot of job safety, but you can have some highs that are nice to have and then there are lows as well. So it really starts with me trying to work out what I wanted to do for the next phase of my life. I had a few strange job experiences here. And then what I had been doing for over a decade is I'd been doing training. I, I would do it a few times a year. I was writing blog posts relatively often at times. 
And w- what I found is when I was burnt out at work or just frustrated or not into the work that I was doing, if I did a talk or did some training, I really came to life. And so I started to think increasingly about, you know, how can I build a life where I think about the things that bring me to life and do them more often? So that's really where Sweathead started. And, you know, where, where it can go, we're experimenting with a few different formats this year. We have like self-directed learning online classes. We have four-week accelerators. We do events and conferences and, and book, sell books, et cetera, podcasts. We don't sell podcasts, but we have them. And just trying to work out how to come to life. Uh, it's a weird year, but since I sort of turned it into a business three years ago, so it's been going for five this year, but it, it wasn't really a business until the pandemic. The pandemic forced my hand. But yeah, the, the, the future is just trying to work out how to, how to help strategists in their time of need. And one of the reasons I do it other than the fact that I enjoy it is I was doing talks in a lot of places around the world and I love doing that. But after the talks, I'd often catch up with strategists for a drink or for a meal. And I don't know, the, the kinds of conversations I can have with strategists, they're, they're uncommon. You can bounce through 100 topics in 10 minutes. You could talk about good things in life, tough things in life, things you're struggling with. There's just a, a reality and a, you know, an intellectual spark to those conversations. And it really dawned on me that like the, these are my people. You know, For a while, I didn't really identify with the advertising industry. I happened to work in it. But when I was younger, I was publishing a hip-hop magazine and doing a hip-hop radio show. So that was really, really what most of my life was about. And then over the past few years, I was like, no, these these are my people. And so, and not mine as in I own them, but mine as in I really identify with the struggles and the conversations are just, they can go anywhere in a way that is not common in my life at least. So there's some of the reasons that Sweathead's happening and and we're really just trying to work out how to create world-class, effective learning experiences. Forgive the big words there, but that's what we're trying to work through. Um, a few things from what you're saying really st- struck me or, you know, popped out a little more visibly. And those are the first thing you said that you spend some time, you know, trying to figure out what you really like to do and what you really want to do. And then the second thing is that the moment you realize these are my people. These two things I really think are applicable to brands as well. The need for them to define who they are before they start communicating and to find out who the right people for them are. And only then actually build up their communication strategy based on this. What is your experience in the past you know, few years maybe? Are brands becoming more comfortable swimming in those waters uh, in a way, defining who they are, sticking with that, talking to the same people, and building deep connections rather than spreading all over? Uh, that's a lot of questions in that one question. I, look, I, I think the brands that are doing the best are, are doing that stuff that you mentioned. Yeah, but most are not. I feel like we're in a pretty conservative era. I think the access to data, the access to well over a decade of programmatic advertising methodologies and those things being mainstream, I think there was just an overcorrection. In some respects, the stuff that I see coming out now that I that I think is at the top, and if I look at some of the companies that test the ads that come out and the ads that do well, there's something really old school about them. They're just written well. 
their art directed well, they're filmed well, they have a concept, they have characters and sounds and evolving stories. It's not just someone talking to camera with a bunch of stock video and imagery there. So the, the, the brands that are doing it well are doing it well. That's a truism, but most are not. Most are struggling with having a lot of information and having a lot of slides in their presentation and, and then creating stuff that people don't pay attention to. What's the first step for these brands to actually become better, to find their focus? The first step, I, well, I think the first step is you need someone inside the brand who can run a brand or there needs to be someone leading the brand who will get out of the way and bring someone in or a company in who can run a brand without one of those things you can't do anything. Yeah, it's all about people in the end of the day, huh? It's all about the right people. Yeah, yeah. And and that's that's also hard to <laughs> to work out, right? Because there are more people than ever before. And you know, you, you could buy some advertising type stuff from Upwork or Fiverr for ten dollars. You know, why should that ten dollar thing there be a thousand dollars or ten thousand dollars or whatever it is? So it, all of that's pretty hard as well. Like if you're not if you're not experienced and if you didn't grow up in the industry, it's hard to make these decisions. Yeah, especially with something new in the industry, uh, like strategy in in these regions here, we see that it's hard for people to invest in good brand management and in strategy as a whole. It's really hard to make that decision because results don't come very quickly. Yeah, and especially in advertising, you go to the agency and you want to campaign in two weeks, three weeks, but strategy takes you know double the time, let's say. So, how do clients then make this commitment to strategy that's it's really hard but also if if you add going through down cycles like a lot of the world is right now i mean it's been you know three years of particular challenge and then i know the past year even in your region if i guess you would think that ukraine's in your region you know we got war and all, all that kind of stuff or war everywhere apparently uh, but you know, through through those times, not to trivialize those times, but to, through those times, you still need to keep the brand active. If you just go to sort of bottom of the funnel techniques and tactics of sales and discounts, you end up killing the brand. Or if you turn the advertising off, you kill the brand, and it can take several years for it to come back on, according to bits and pieces of research. Maybe there was some research from PNG in 2020. I can't remember, but there was a lot. Of, there's been a lot of discussion over the past few years about you turn a brand off during. A recession or a pandemic, it can take years for you to be able to get it back to where it was. So yeah, it is. It's particularly tough times, but I I think it's it, you know, that question is really hard to answer. Where would you start with that? I think building trust with the people who are gonna you're gonna work with. I think that's the most important thing because committing to strategy if you don't have enough trust in strategy itself. It's probably going to come through the people who you trust in, you have your trust in, and they take the responsibility, you know, to do good quality work, professional work that actually helps your business and your brand become more meaningful, more connected to people. So it's always, uh, there's always some risk. I'm pretty sure there's no way to eliminate the risk and there's no such thing as zero risk in business at all and in life as a whole. But I think it's really taking the time to build trust in the people you're going to work with, you're going to do the strategy with. It's my take. 
Yeah, easier easier said than done because also we're talking about typically the people in power in a big place are small C conservative. You know, you have typically creative people grow companies and conservative people come in to run them to conserve the status quo. And if it's a very big company that doesn't want to rock the boat a lot, then it will definitely turn into a bureaucracy over time and the risk to the company that turns into just a bureaucracy, just a set of repeatable systems is that they might disappear. They might erode without creative bursts every now and then. But you, you then have, you know, your question is a riddle because you think about, well, who are the people who would need to trust a strategist? And very often they're going to be people who are, are skeptical, who are suspicious, who maybe don't like someone who wears sneakers or people who have tattoos or funny haircuts or things like that. So, you know, that's where I, I think the leader of the business needs to make sure that they've got someone who can manage the brand, who has power and seniority, that it's not seen as like a junior discipline. Because as soon as that happens, everything, advertising just becomes the words and pictures department and it, it just loses its, its luster. And then you got to think about, well, what kind of talent would you attract and keep if that's how you treat these these disciplines mm, yeah it's true that's why i think i like tech brands so much because they or those that i've seen around here the leaders behind the tech brands are a little bit different than typical corporate leaders you know like very often they build a product which is exactly you know to solve an issue or something that was missing in the corporate yeah. world. So the type of people behind them are a little more, you know, edgy, maybe brave, or they want to build people to people connections. And in that industry, I see maybe a little more potential of, you know, starting to build strategy from early on, building brand strategy so that then your advertising strategy is even more on spot. And I think those people actually have, you know, have the right mindset and there's a lot to learn from them. Some do, some do. I would just say to the strategist, be careful of your idealism. Strategists are always like, <laughs> oh, I want to work with a startup or I want to, you know, he's the perfect company or type of company that I want to work with. It, it just comes down to the individuals. A lot of startups are almost too soon to have a brand because- It's true. You know, until they get a little bit of product market fit, sometimes the founders so in their head and also can be in the way that they won't and they won't want to settle on a strategy or on a brand strategy. They want their options open or they'll want authorship of it, which I, I get. I get. Uh, but also most startups don't succeed. So a lot of agencies and strategists are like, what if what if we had skin in the game? What if we took equity? Cool. Most companies die within the first year definitely within the first two. So I just I just say watching you as you're trying to convince yourself that there's an optimal way of being that maybe that's true but maybe not. And to notice that when you start to fantasize that you're fantasizing. <laughs> yeah, I know that. Um I've I've got myself and I see a lot of strategies doing that, you know, the boundary between, you know, dissociation to actually build the right strategy and turning over you know into fantasy it's really tiny but i'm i'm talking based on experience and here i'm not really talking about you know just startups because very often startups don't even they they don't even have you know the investment behind them to think of these type of things but a lot of the already you know more established tech brands here are thinking like that and that's that's something 
you know, to take note of, I think. Um, but besides that, what what is something that you wish brands did better in the future? We started with what they're doing right. So what is something they still need to do better? I don't think about brands that much. I think about people. Yeah, I don't, I've used technology for a long time. I don't think about technology that much. I think about people. It's just where I keep coming back to. And so I think what brands could do better is is finding and then challenging and, and trusting people who are capable and also helping to grow the people that work for them. That's what I believe in and that's why I work in the space that I work in. Because if you can get the people working well together, challenging, pushing, being brave, then they'll work it out. So that's where I would spend my time if I was a leader of a one of these companies that you're idealizing right now. <laughs> Invest in your people, guys. This is the main the main lesson here. If you have the right people, then you're definitely going to be one step closer to the right strategy for your communication. Well, Mark. Thank you very much for your time today. We'll see you in less than a month in Bulgaria at the Digital Conference, where you will show us and teach us how to swim better, especially if we have a shallow brand. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna put everyone in the deep end. Thank you very much for the talk. I'm looking forward to meeting everyone. See you soon in Sofia at Digitalk. Peace.